They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. All right, so just for a second as review from the last uh, few weeks, uh, we've been talking about uh, Jesus and his teachings to the disciples. We've been talking about a little bit about the disciples not understanding, not getting what Jesus was talking about. Last week, Josh talked about these verses. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. The disciples still didn't get it. Now, we have the benefit of 2,000 years or so looking back on what had happened. So sometimes we might give the disciples a, a little bit of a hard time on they don't get it. They're right there with him. He said that I'm going to be killed and in three days I will rise again. But they still didn't get it. Now, there were a lot of things that they didn't get, but he spoke, he seemed to speak clearly here. To us, it seems clear. Uh, but to the disciples, they just didn't get it. Jesus' teaching didn't fit in their box. Probably not all Jews of the time believed that God would send a Messiah, but nobody at all believed that if and when God did send one, that Messiah would have to suffer, still less die. So this kind of tells you why they didn't get it at the time. They didn't get that he was going to die because nobody at the time believed that if God was going to send a Messiah, that he was going to have to die, that he was going to be sacrificed for us. So that's what Josh talked a little bit about last week. This week, we're going to talk about goats. Now, I got permission from Christy uh, to borrow a picture that she posted on Facebook this week. Um, it's kind of hard to see here. Um, I guess Christy and at least Luke were driving somewhere. I don't know who else was with them. Uh, and Luke said, is that a goat in that car? And it might be hard to see, but there I circled it. You can see the horns uh, coming out of the goat's heads. There was a goat in the car in front of them. Now, that's not the kind of goat that we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to talk about a goat as in the greatest of all time. Now, pretty much anything you can think of, there is an argument over who or what is the greatest of all time. For example, let's take basketball. These are two that may be considered the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, the third, LeBron James. People my age and younger would probably consider one of these three the greatest basketball player of all time. Uh, in my age range, I would say Michael Jordan was by far the greatest basketball player of all time, but I'm not going to argue with you about that tonight. Somebody a little bit older than me, or maybe a lot older than me, might think uh, there are others that are the greatest 
basketball players of all time, but there is an argument over who is the greatest basketball player of all time. Baseball. I do not believe that Cal Ripken Jr. is the greatest baseball player of all time, but this just goes to show you how arguments about the greatest whatever of all time can take on many different facets, many different forms, many different beliefs. Um, one pastor of our church has been known to say that Cal Ripken is the greatest player of all time, um, and it's not me, and there's only one other, so that kind of narrows it down for you. Um, baseball players, uh, there may be a greatest of all time, but there's always going to be an argument over who is the greatest of all time. TV shows, Friday Night Lights may not be the greatest of all time, but it's one of the greatest of all time. Now, let me preface that by saying I grew up in Texas. I lived in Texas for 30 years, and in Texas, the Friday Night Lights are basically a religion, the real football games on Friday nights. Uh, there's been a book written about it. There's been the TV show, there's been movies, or a movie. Uh, Friday Night Lights is, in my estimation, one of the greatest of all time. And just for the females out there, if you don't agree with me from this picture, Josh threw another picture in there for you. <laughs> See, now I might have a little bit more on my side of Friday Night Lights being the greatest of all time. But you can look at these three things, the greatest basketball player, I'm gonna get that off of there, the greatest basketball player, the greatest baseball player, the greatest TV show, I don't know how many people are here tonight, but I would bet that very few of us would agree on some of these things. We would probably have quite a few that agree on basketball players. We would probably have some that agreed on baseball players. Probably not have a lot that agree on the greatest TV shows of all time. It's really a silly question. I mean, you can ask who's the greatest anything of all time. And people are going to argue, there's nothing that you can say, well, that's definitely the greatest um, in their field of all time. So Jesus is walking with his disciples, and the disciples are arguing. He says, what were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet, because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. There's almost a comical incongruity R.T. France says, in the picture of these grown men acting like guilty schoolboys before their teacher. Now, I have three boys between the ages of five and eight, and most of the time they're pretty good, uh, but there are plenty of times, especially little Jackson, the five-year-old, that I can say, Jackson, what are you doing? And I might know well what he's doing. Jackson, what are you doing? Nothing. Jackson, what do you have in your hands? Nothing. Jackson, I see something in your hands. I know you're hiding it behind your back. What do you have? Nothing. It's the same type of thing here. Uh, the disciples um, were arguing on the road. Jesus may have known, may not have known what they were arguing about. I would guess that Jesus kind of knew uh, what they were arguing about. They were arguing about who the greatest disciple was. Uh, they were arguing about which one was the greatest. Again, this is a silly question. Which disciple is the greatest? Just like the TV shows, the 
baseball players, the basketball players. Who cares which one's the greatest? Let's go back to my kids. I guarantee you if I ask Caden who the greatest of my kids are, he's going to say Caden. Now, Tobias might not say Tobias because he might be a little bit more um, aware of who he thinks the greatest is. Jackson would probably say nothing because he thinks he's going to get in trouble. But it's, again, it's a silly question. Who's the greatest disciple? Um, the disciples still didn't get it. It was all about them. If I asked Caden who the greatest is, it would all be about him. If I asked him who the greatest baseball player was, he's a Texas Rangers fan. He's going to say a Texas Ranger just because it's about him and who he knows. The disciples, it was all about them. They still didn't get it. Jesus had just announced the kingdom. Jesus had just demonstrated his power over demons. Jesus had been transfigured. Jesus had predicted his death twice. After all that, they still wanted to know who the greatest disciple was. It was all about them. Again, we kind of, the disciples, I think, kind of get a bad rap. We kind of, we kind of, take a hard line on them and what they believe. But we often ask who the greatest is. Who doesn't want to be the greatest at whatever they're doing? But when I ask if I'm the greatest at something, it's all about me. And even more, it's all about us. It's all about my family being the greatest or our church being the greatest. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying I go to the greatest church or I have the greatest family, but it shouldn't all be about me. It shouldn't all be about us. So after this, Jesus gets a little specific with them. Jesus sits down, and he calls the 12 disciples, and he said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. I, as I was studying and preparing for, night, for tonight, I thought it was interesting that he didn't say, oh, you shouldn't be arguing over who's the greatest, because my, my first thought when reading this, uh, when, when we knew that this was what I'd be talking about tonight, my first thought was, oh, well, it's the, it's the ambition to be great that, that is bad. But Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't want to be great. Jesus says anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, must be the servant of all. He tells them right here, if they want to be great, this is how they can be great. Jesus is teaching for them. Again, it didn't fit inside their nice, neat little box, their, their beliefs that they had been taught as they grew up. Really, all of the stuff that D Jesus taught them, none of it fit inside their little box. Jesus' teaching turns things upside down. Jesus' teaching shows a different way. As Jesus goes to the cross, turning upside down everything his disciples had imagined, he is turning upside down the way people, including Christians, still think. Jesus' teaching didn't fit the disciples' box, but now, 2,000 years later, Jesus' teaching should be our box. As Christians, as people who follow Jesus, the way that we think should be inside a box that Jesus created, which, for me, isn't the case. So many times I have to think outside of my little box to think and to believe the way that Jesus 
wants us to think and wants us to believe. Jesus took a child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, let me pause here and talk a little bit about kids. I've already talked about the boys. That's kind of what I'm going to talk about right now. Back in these times, back in ancient times, kids didn't hold a very high place. The use of a child as a teaching aid has explicitly to do with status, lowest order on the social scale, under the authority and care of others. Aside from the normal family affection, children were not rated very highly in the ancient. We do the exact opposite, and by we, I can start with me. I realized I almost... Every week when I come to set up, I wear a t-shirt because sometimes it's hot in here and I want to be able to set stuff up, wear that t-shirt, change into a different shirt after I'm done. I realized as I was clicking through my slideshow earlier, the t-shirt that I wore was a West Salisbury Little League t-shirt from when Caden was on an all-star team and it had Caden's name on the back of it. And I just, it kind of made me laugh because And there's nothing wrong with being proud of our kids, but it made me think of how much I, all of my kids, I, everything, I mean, a lot of times I schedule my week around what they have to do that night. I schedule what I can do, what I can't do around what my kids have. We we treat kids very differently now than they did uh, back in the times uh, when Jesus was speaking here. Jesus said, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. So the question here is, who is Jesus talking about when he's talking about little children? Now, he he had this child that he used as an example, but we saw it had to do with status, the lowest order on the social scale. So who are the children? The children are people that may not look like us. The children are people who may not think like us. The children are people who don't act like us. This opens up who children are to be so many different people. With what's, with what's been going on, you know, I, I almost said with what it's happened the last week, week and a half, starting with Paris a week and a half ago. But it's even more than that. It started a long, long time ago. Paris just was so big and hit home and made the, the reality that something could happen um, near us, uh, made it more a reality. So it's the front of our mind. Who are the children? The children are people that don't think, act, look like us. The first thing that comes to my mind is refugees. Now, I'm not a very political person, and I'm not going to get political tonight, but and the Bible says that we should love people. The Bible says that we should welcome those that aren't like us. I understand everything that comes along with welcoming people that are also afraid and trying to leave a place that is so torn by war that they fear for their lives and their families' lives. I understand. I I was making the the flight reservation for my daughter to come after Christmas 
And just before I'm, I started making that reservation, the, the news came out about the Russian flight that was bombed using basically a Coke can. I understand the fear. I understand the apprehension. But we can't live in that fear. We can't live being afraid of doing what God's called us to do. I would, I would even venture to say that if we're doing what God's called us to do, we're going to be afraid. We're going to do things at times that scare us, that we don't like, that get us outside of our box and outside of our comfort zone. But there are others that are the children. What about the kid waiting for the bus when it's 30 degrees outside that doesn't have a coat? Yeah, he's literally a child, but, man, why, why don't we say, here, have my coat? Why don't we welcome that child that needs a coat? There are people that think differently than we do. There are people in churches that think different. There are churches themselves that think differently than our church. Why don't we welcome them? Why don't we welcome people who might think differently about people's sexual orientations? Why don't we welcome people who think on the right side, but then also why don't we welcome people that think on the left side? We get so tied up in what we believe, going back to the it's about me, it's about me, it's about me. It's not about me, it's about Jesus. Jesus said that if we welcome the children, he will welcome us. Jesus said that if he welcomes us, his father will welcome us. So what do we do? What do we do about Paris? What do we do about Beirut? What do we do about Baghdad, about Mali, about Cameroon, about Houston, about Baltimore, about Missouri, about Salisbury? What do we do? We do something. You know, just in the few verses that we read, Jesus gave us hints, gave us clues, gave us what we do. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and servant of all. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. After the, the bombing in Paris, um, Christians all over the world uh, started praying for Paris and posting stuff on Facebook saying they're praying for Paris. Um, Josh Spade, a guy that works for CBF, posted a prayer uh, that he called a prayer, a prayer for Paris and Beirut. But I would say this is a prayer for us and our world that we live in today. God, we are weary, weary of attacks and chaos. God, we are shaken, shaken by the news that so many lives have been wounded and killed in Paris and Beirut. God, we are tired, tired of being scared and wondering when the next attack will happen. God, we are weeping, weeping with the families as they mourn and cry out in the night. 
God, we are grateful, grateful that when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. God, we are hopeful, hopeful that your love is bigger than our hate and stronger than our malice toward our brothers and sisters. God, we are praying, praying that you would reveal your peace this day, not only in Paris and Beirut, but throughout your whole world. God, we are seeking, seeking your light and ask that it would shine bright from the city of lights in the midst of this dark night. Amen.